Welcome to Save Station Radio, where I, your host Dustin, and my co-host, I'm Connor, will be taking a look at the lovely indie game Anodyne. Thanks to Connor this week for gathering our notes, as I was very busy with school, unfortunately. So for that reason, I'm going to pass the baton to him to tell you about the developers and give you some context. Yeah, so this game Anodyne was developed mainly by two people under the production name of Analgesic Productions. Um, The two developers are Melos Hontani and Marina Kitaka, which is uh, credited differently in the game, but those are their names now. And uh, this game was created using a Flash-based game engine that known as Flixel, which was developed by the same creator as the Flash game Cannabalt, um, which is a really great endless runner. Not the topic of today, but he made this game engine in Flash, and uh, Anodyne uses that. So it very much feels like a Flash game, even though it's kind of a step up from that. Yeah, I'd say so. Um, it was released in 2013 on pc ios and android um just throughout the year they were producing those and then it was released in september of 2018 on the ps4 and xbox one and then february of 2019 for the nintendo switch 2013 what a wild year for games so many interesting like experimental stuff both in AAA and indie because that was the same year as gone home and fascinating uh when this was came out it was first published on the front page of the pirate bay which is a piracy hub website which was huge and got the game a bunch of traction to be put on steam Greenlight and then be released on steam um you know for money and also so that it's available to a lot wider of an audience that's awesome i love those stories yeah and even more impressive which is interesting especially for this podcast as well is it did surprisingly well, and uh, the developers even released a sequel to this game, which we're not going to talk about today, but is super impressive and uh, really cool that they you know, found an audience with this game. Yeah, to jump around a little bit, we, were, I, we weren't really going to discuss it for this episode because this is an indie game, not a franchise that you know we had heard of before, but if we were going to talk about our histories with it, I don't really have one. I saw Anodyne 2 in a some thread i think it might have been a reset era thread somewhere about like 3d games like games that pay homage to the n64 playstation 1 era and that's where i first saw that game and then later on i saw nitro rad do an episode of it so that was kind of what inspired this episode and i'm really interested to see that sequel because it looks very ambitious yeah for sure um i had heard nothing about this game like at all until dustin had told me about this um and even then, all I ever heard about it was that it was very much like Zelda, and it was an indie game. And that's it. Yeah. <laughs> that's all I knew going into it. And to jump ahead a little bit to gameplay, uh, well, did you say the Metacritic was a 75? Sorry if I'm skipping Yeah, it got a 75 um, Metacritic, and a lot of the reviewers said, which I'm sure we will also say, is it's really interesting, but takes a lot of old de- design philosophies that don't super work anymore. <laughs> Absolutely. So when we describe what this game is, it, the easiest thing is to say it's a Zelda-like. In, in your notes, you ha- you say almost identical to Link's Awakening. I think somewhere I did say see it was inspired by Link's Awakening directly, which makes sense. Though that being said, calling it a Zelda-like is interesting because you don't really gain more abilities and weapons and upgrades and stuff. You kind of get one midway through the game, and that's it. So I think it's honestly a bit of a... It, it's, it's a light Zelda-like, I guess you could say. If that makes sense. Yeah, it's a dungeon crawler, I guess, but you're not really searching for loot. It's more like, you know, a Zelda game without upgrades, which did throw me when I was playing it because I was expecting upgrades. But, you know, it's not it's not bad. It's just a different thing. Yeah, I mean, there are a couple of things. There's the the long attack, which I found, which kind of increases your range, uh, your range, your normal attack range. There's the wide attack, which I actually never found. So I don't even know what oh, that does. Either. Uh, it sounds like it would act more like if I if it were to act more like Link's sword, which would have been incredibly useful if you could like slash across tiles, because that's actually a big problem I have with the game. Yeah, the normal attack and the long attack as well 
um, only stabs directly in front of him, which is very much like the original Zelda on the NES, which can get really annoying in tight spaces. It's uh, it's one of the many frustrations of the gameplay we have with this game, but we'll get to that in a minute. Then the kind of only Zelda-style upgrade you get are the jump boots, which really make this game like Link's Awakening, because now they've introduced platforming, which unfortunately I think introduces some more frustrating elements, but that's basically it. You get an end game upgrade, which I think we'll save for spoilers because it's interesting, but as far as critical main story path, that's that's it. It's a very simple game. I would have to say it's more of a story adventure game than it is anything else. Yeah, this is definitely not a game that I would recommend playing for the gameplay, which sounds really harsh, but it's mainly... I think where this game really shines is its atmosphere and its um, story. And the gameplay is there to supplement that for sure. And it does a really good job of that. But if you're looking for a traditional Zelda game, then this is not going to be what you're looking for. this in it so let's uh let's dive deeper into that then and talk about our impressions and uh i want to why don't you go into more depth about why that gameplay is not is not where it needs to be my biggest uh problem with the gameplay is the combat you know just poking directly in front of you with your weapon is not great um and my other biggest problem is the map the map is really could be a lot better and it isn't the map super is helpful very bad it it were it's okay i guess but it doesn't it doesn't give enough detail in any way it's very confusing and sometimes i actually found it a bit hindering yeah the only way i found it super useful was to find if there was a way that i hadn't gone yet it's the same way that i use game um the map in games like super metroid but yeah in terms of actually navigating it's kind of bad you know the rest of the game i think that is the biggest problem with the gameplay but the the controls i think other than the combat are fine you know i didn't find the platforming too bad um which i know is not a common opinion i hear bad things about the the platforming i didn't love it i'll be honest i i struggled a little bit and thankfully it doesn't deal damage when you fail the platforming Oh, I would have died four times as much. Yeah, it's um, it's not quite as precise as you'd want it to be. Yeah, for sure. The, there was some times that I felt like I was getting somewhat frustrated with it, but not so much that I felt like I was being cheated because it was, it was bad. Like, it felt like if I had really mastered it, I felt like I could have got, gotten a handle on it. You know what I mean? Yeah, I, I do. I don't think it's... Um, I certainly don't think it's the most egregious thing about this game. And so, yeah, I, I could see that. But where this game, gameplay-wise, really shines is the dungeons. You know, it's a, it's very much like a Zelda game where it has these dungeons and they each have their own rooms with puzzles and stuff and small keys and you find a boss at the end. All of that is absolutely fantastic and i really enjoyed the dungeons in this game agreed um and then shout out to this is i think the first game we've reviewed on this podcast that actually features safe stations so good on you anodyne (laughs) um which actually makes i actually think that those help with the kind of crummy combat honestly because it makes sure that there's like no loading times because you know it's built off this flash-based engine any modern machine can run that totally fine so dying and respawning is actually not the end of the world you can kind of just run to where you're at pretty quickly and like gates don't stay closed or whatever when you clear a room so you can catch up to where you were in most cases within like five seconds so honestly that does help to mitigate some of the problems and they're pretty generous with the checkpoints um especially in dungeons where there's like a checkpoint every other room or you do something mildly challenging and then they give you a checkpoint which is really appreciated when you do end up dying so then let's let's quickly give quick impressions of the the narrative and stuff which is why i think you should come to this game and and why i actually 
quite enjoyed the experience. Um, it has a very interesting vibe and tone. It A lot of it feels very unsettling, like there's something off with it, and I think it does a good draw, job of instilling a sense of dread while you're playing it, which is pretty impressive, especially because I'm not a person who gets very affected by, honestly, it's, uh, sprite art. Like, that stuff doesn't stand out to me. I think just simply because I was important with it, so it's hard for that to have an effect on me, and this is one of the rare exceptions where I, I generally did feel dread while I was playing the game, and I really appreciated that. And I think that's all down to the presentation and art and music and writing, honestly. Yeah, for sure. And the the story is really really quite simple all things considered it's very much a um you know you're the chosen one and you gotta go stop the thing uh here's here's a weapon go fight things but it's weird because the tone is extremely strange in this game it was the first thing i noticed was the protagonist your main weapon is a broom not a sword yeah (laughs) which is great the sage or whatever it's it's like oh yeah it's definitely the legendary broom it's definitely intentional and it's stuff like that where the dialogue is super whimsical and kind of you know has fun and has some jokes and whatever but then you get moments where it's just like this isn't you know i went into it thinking oh well, maybe this is going to be some sort of self-referential zelda clone but no it's like really the tone takes a really hard turn away from that in some places the tone overall and the vibe, especially with the whole game setup, reminds me a lot of the game Off. Oh, which sure. I don't know if you've played. I have not played it, but I've heard of it. Yeah, it's very much like that. I hear it also compared to Yume Nikki, which I haven't gotten around to playing yet, but it's very much that sort of ethereal indie vibe of here's a story that's not really going to make sense, but it is going to be somewhat unsettling and definitely cool to look at. And I will warn people, if you don't like stories or art that's going to be very interpretive, this probably isn't for you. There's a lot of elements in here that aren't necessarily spelled out for the player. You kind of have to do some thinking and some, you know, some interpretation and work that stuff out for yourself. Like, I have a theory later on about what happens in this game that I think, I, like, I don't know that everybody would have, right? I think that there's a lot of there's a lot of stuff in this game like that where you can kind of take it off in your own direction and there's not... There doesn't seem to be at least a true answer, which I like. I like experiences and art like that. So this was really appealing to me. Yeah, for sure. Uh, and the last thing I want to say about this before we move on to spoilers. If you're on the fence about this game, it's fairly cheap and I think it's worth it. If what we've said so far is appealing to you, it's, what, $10 normally? And I bought it on sale for a dollar. So you could just wait and grab it for a dollar, which is absolutely worth it, I think just to see what it's about. Oh yeah, for sure. I played I paid $10 for it on Switch. Uh did you play it on Switch as well? I did. Yes. Uh the Switch version runs great. I did encounter a couple like slowdown issues, which was strange, but it might just be that the Switch is not the best device to be emulating flash player or anything. Um Yeah, I did too, but only in the last dungeon area. But that was it. For me, yeah, it, I think it only happened once, but the, you know, it's it's great. the The ten dollars is really not bad for a game that I honestly think is worth it. If you're a fan of those, you know, kind of quirky indie games like Off and Yume Nikki, then you'll definitely find something to like here. And it it's available on most machines nowadays, so uh, definitely definitely play it if you're curious. Yeah, and I will say, don't spoil yourself on it. I think there's a lot of really cool surprises. And what this game has is surprises. I think that there's... Like, every time we went to a new area in the game, I I was, like, wowed. I was like, this is, this is cooler than the last thing. Like, it, it was... It, it's impressive on that end alone. So, go into it blind if you can. Yeah, this... Uh, this is probably the highest of spoiler warnings we have on this podcast so far. Where if you... You know, we're going to discuss the rest of the game, but uh, don't look anything else up about it. Don't read anything. Don't listen to the rest of the show. I mean, do come back once you're done with the game, but, you know, go into it completely blind because 
my knowledge of it going in that it's an indie game and it's a Zelda clone and that's it is really about as much as you should know going into it. And don't be put off by the aspect ratio, which we forgot to mention. It's, again, totally emulating Link's Awakening, including, like, having the same aspect ratio of a Game Boy. Yeah, it has, like, a one-to-one ratio. Yeah, uh, it's totally not... Like, I, you don't notice it after five minutes. It's fine. All right, so that's, let's get into it. Let's start, let's start on the beach and on the talk. Because that was kind of the first time I went, whoa, really? when you walk up to the fisherman and you push him off the river and you definitely kill him because there's definitely blood in the water. Yeah, you push him into the water and he opens a portal to the blood dimension. I was like, whoa, wait a minute. (laughs) I was just talking to a lobster on the other dock. What happened? It's so weird. It's just like, it it comes out of nowhere and immediately establishes the weird vibes of this game and sort of the weird like dimensions, worlds, or whatever we're going to that we'll be traveling to and that things will be different in each one it's it's really cool i thought it was a really smart thing to do yeah especially once you actually jump into the portal and go into the blood dimension some of my favorite like sprite work in this game is here and it's those uh tall walking legs creatures yeah i 100 percent agree which is interesting because on one hand i actually didn't love a lot of the sprite work in this game except for when it came to sort of those bigger creatures i thought they were phenomenal looking uh, those guys in the boss of that dungeon are really, really cool and creepy. Um, what guys were those again? The the walking guys, the like legs, basically. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Sorry. And I like that they're docile and not enemies. Yeah, just having these, you know, strange, otherworldly creatures walking about. It very much puts you into the, you know, perspective of, I'm just in this world and. It's not a place I belong, but I'm not going to mess things up too bad. Yeah, and not everything here is out to kill you like it would be in, say, a Zelda game or whatever. Uh, really put, paints an interesting picture. This was also the dungeon where we're reading signs that are, like, talking about the death of the mother or whatever. Like, it's just establishing this really creepy vibe, and there's, like, rivers of blood running through them, and everything feels kind of gross. Yeah, for sure. This is also where you can find a hidden Binding of Isaac level. Oh, so I didn't know about this. I saw this in your thing. What's up with this? Yeah, there's one screen in this dimension where you can walk into um, a wall. It kind of... The only reason I found it is because the graphics kind of lead you into this hole, and then I just pushed against the wall. Um, You can go around, and then there's an entire... I mean, it's like six rooms at most, but it's like a Binding of Isaac level with enemies and stuff, which kind of knowing the tone of this area of the game with like all of this cryptic messaging and the death of the mother and stuff having a binding of isaac level it's like yeah okay that actually tracks a whole lot yeah seems appropriate there's just so it's so weirdly disjointed it's kind of hard to tell where, where we should go next it's honestly fairly open which is the thing because um i feel like i did a lot of the dungeons kind of out of order just because it lets you you know you don't need a certain item to open a dungeon since so you can just kind of wander wherever you want and if you find a dungeon and do it then that's pretty great um that uh the red cave dungeon uh was actually one of the first ones that i did obviously the temple dungeon was first because that's Mm -hmm. sort of the tutorial level but the red cave dungeon was one of the ones i did first and then i skipped the cliffs and went to the apartments oh interesting okay um and i skipped over the 8-bit maze and the acrobats dungeon and went straight to the hotel dungeon and then had to backtrack for the other ones wouldn't it be nice to be able to skip over that 8-bit maze yeah man that one was rough really cool visually but then about five minutes in you're like okay i'm done it's literally the largest area in the entire game, and it has these zombies that walk past and so can take slow. half your... And they... Well, what's interesting is you if you actually push the attack button, then they speed up. 
Um, and the more times you push it, the faster they go, which makes it hard to dodge them eventually. So I wouldn't recommend doing it too many times. But if you do get hit by them, they deal like half of your health yeah, bar. It's ridiculous. It's really annoying. Um, but the Acrobats dungeon was one of my favorites in the entire game for sure. Oh my god, yeah, dude, like I loved that when you're saving them and they run away from you and then you beat them in the boss fight and they're like you you robbed this from us. You robbed our sacrifice. And it's again one of the one of the moments of Pixar that I really like when they throw themselves in the pit and you go down there and you see their crumpled bodies. It's like really really good like really well done yeah it's really f- fucked up honestly yeah but like it's disturbing um but that's what it's going for and you know it kind of makes you question what you're doing but in a way you are saving them kind of it seems it was super weird but also the acrobats dungeon has these like boost panels and the flame jets and all of that I just thought was really fun to traverse, and gameplay-wise, it was my favorite area in the game as well. Yeah, I agree, except for those lions. I hated the lions. Lions were rough. And the sp- multiplying clowns. Their projectile thread just was like, it just would cover the whole screen. It's like, I don't know what to do, it just was infuriating. And especially in the last area, actually, the lion there was like, it killed me multiple times. It was infuriating. Yeah, that dungeon was definitely a highlight. And then the um, the suburban area, the sepia town like area where you trade your broom for a goddamn knife. Yeah, that legitimately freaked me out. Ugh, dude, like amazing! Like holy shit, completely unexpected. And the gameplay kind of served this as well because the talk button and the attack button is the same button. Um. I went into this town and it was black and white. I'm like, okay, cool. And I went up, I tried to talk to one of the locals and instead, um, the character, the main character, young is his name, just freak fucking stabs the guy. (laughs) And I was so like shocked at that. And then the core, the body bleeds out on the floor. It's so interesting too, because you've seen people before that point and they've always been a bit creepy, right? Like there are some people in the cliffs area and they have this weird sound effect and they kind of just walk back and forth, but they're docile. They don't hurt you or anything. They just seem a little creepy. Yeah, and there's the one man texture that shows up in the dungeons that just kind of repeats and, like, fills an area. Yeah. It's really weird. And then to get to this one where you go up and try to talk to somebody and you just straight up stab them. It's like, okay. Weird. And I love in that area, too, when you go into the house and you talk to people like well either first of all they've either killed themselves or they're alive and the ones that are alive are like in, in complete denial and talking about how peaceful and great everything is it's so the tone is so this is like where the tone is at its strongest for me where it's just like ugh, i hate this i mean i love it that i hate it yeah. but i hate it <laughs> um one of the i actually i interacted with one of the bodies in this town and it had a line that seemed like a joke about how it died kind of like haunted mansion style but it was really fucked up i was like oh my god it's so eerie it's like the dude that's blocking the the house and he's like you haven't killed enough people and you go do that and then you come back to him and he's like okay cool see you tomorrow it's like what does that mean are you oblivious to this is this happening over and over like again it's one of those moments where like this is really open to interpretation about what's happening here yeah for sure um is there any other area you want to highlight specifically um we talked about the 8-bit maze. That sucks. Um, the, I mean, it's fine. I like how you can't fight the enemies. It kind of changes up the gameplay, but it gets really confusing really fast. Um, I believe it's either in the apartments or the hotel dungeon. Uh, I think it's the hotel, actually, with the rats. There's a couple puzzles where you have to manipulate the rats to step on buttons that remind me a lot of the game Choo Choo Rocket. Only it is, (laughs) there was one that got me stuck for a good, like, 10 to 15 minutes. Is it the one with the bumpers, the the two bumpers in the room that, like, you know, the ones where you walk across their path and they shoot out to attack you? It's like a big empty room with two of those and one rat. And if you don't go grab the rat immediately, it'll run into the bumpers and you have to reset. Because that room got me for a while. Um, I didn't find that one too bad, but I could definitely see why it would be frustrating. No, it's one that's towards the 
top of the hotel building and there's two rats and there's a switch to switch the blocks on and off and you can you have to try and like space these rats out so that they both hit the buttons at the same time and you have to get them to not walk around just the walls and like get them off it got me for like 15 minutes and then i realized oh wait i already did the other puzzle i can just go around and then kill one of the rats and just have the other rat step on the button and i'll step on the other one but i didn't realize that until after i did the puzzle (laughs) there were so many weird moments like that there were so many moments where i'd get to a room with a hard puzzle and solve the puzzle and it would just lead around back to an area i could already access did you notice that um like no, it felt like I guess level not. level design was slightly off to me, where I would just feel like, oh, I could have just walked around and not have done any of this. Um, I feel like a lot of those were mitigated by one of the main collectibles in this game, which was the cards. Yeah, I'm talking about in dungeons, though. Like, I felt like there were some times when rooms would just feel unnecessary. Yeah, I guess so. I Maybe I wasn't paying close atten- enough attention, but usually if I went into an offshoot, it would either ender end with me finding another area which or opening a shortcut back which is also good yeah if i have to backtrack or i would find a card which is good because you need those i the only dungeon i didn't like actually was the hotel one because of the multiple floors i found it a bit confusing and i found myself like unnecessarily backtracking a bunch yeah i think that would be that dungeon would be a lot better if the map was a lot better. Oh, yeah. <laughs> because once I got a um, sort of mental map of that dungeon, I started enjoying it. But if you just had, like, a, a visual map, that would be a lot easier. <laughs> yeah, totally. So what, what did you think of the ending with Briar? Did you find that anticlimactic, or did you like it? Uh, it felt... A, I, I liked the... The ending cutscene, especially, I felt like that was just sort of a nice way to finish it up. It feels a little anticlimactic, I guess, but it was kind of a nice, you know, because the tone of this game is really like fucked up in some places, but having these human connections throughout the story was really meaningful to Young, the protagonist. Mm-hmm. I feel like that was kind of a nice engi- ending to just go get lunch with a friend yes I, I i enjoyed it too and i enjoyed it particularly when um, we started thinking about theories and about what this game is probably actually about i think it makes it even clearer to me um and makes the ending even better i do want to shout out some of the jokes and writing in this game i liked i can't remember her name but bite girl i kept referring her to her as peddling her wares which i appreciated and, <laughs> yeah her uh, bike is named wares yeah it's really funny and uh, I like this the salesman, the Zelda style shop dude. Oh yeah, but you can't collect money good. in the game, no so money. you can buy a wallet, but there's no money to buy the wallet. And there's a straight up handgun. <laughs> it's just it's it's silly. I, I really enjoyed it. And the guy cutting the bush. Yep. Also liked him. But I really I genuinely think the end game is really cool and impressive. I think it might be one of the best end game like things that I've ever seen in a game where they give you the swap tool and you can just straight up break the game with it and let you play around. Yeah, this was... So the... Before you get to the final area, you have to have 36 cards. Yeah. And there's only 37 in the game up to this point. Which I got to that point because I mentioned I was kind of skipping dungeons unintentionally. So I got to that point and I had like 25 maybe. It was oh, like, really? oh, dang it. I have to backtrack and, uh, you know, re-explore this entire overworld again. That um, sucks. I got there and I had 35. So I did not have too much of an issue. I didn't realize that there were that there wasn't enough. There, wow, that's interesting. Yeah, there's only 37 to get before you reach that gate that requires 36. So I guess you could skip one, but... Yeah, that kind of, that's not great. (laughs) Yeah, but, you know, it did make me actually go back and do 8-Bit Maze and Acrobat Dungeon, which I had skipped, so, you know, whoops. Um, But some of those solutions in the locations of some areas, I think, are as obtuse as something like the original Legend of Zelda. (laughs) 
like um, bringing the the cat guy to the box lizard. Oh yeah, that was weird, and that got, actually had me stuck for a while. And I actually broke part of the game. Like this game is pretty easy to break, as you were saying before. Um, where I was just wandering around that area looking for what to do, and there's the part where you can where you get to like the larger river, and there's a part there where there's a bunch of spikes that's supposed to prevent you from continuing on and i just damage boosted through those spikes this is before i got the jump power up oh yeah that's i did that too that's probably why i skipped some dungeons then (laughs) yeah so like i i was with you where i couldn't figure out that that bit um yeah so some of these places i did have to use a guide to get through which i which guide did you normally hate doing um i used one that was on steam i don't remember i couldn't find a great one and so I ended up just watching somebody's, like, long play, skipping around and trying to find the place. That's probably good, because when you scroll too far on the guide, then it might spoil the ending, which is not great. But especially when you're hunting for cards, and there's more cards in the post-game, and you're like, oh, wait, this isn't here, but um, whatever. It's I wouldn't recommend using a guide. Do your best to, like, figure out stuff in this game, because that's where a lot of the you know fun comes from but if you get really stuck then i would not you know i would not blame you for using a guide because it gets really bad Uh, um but yeah getting all the cards i feel like it could have been more like the beginning of the game where you have to get those three keys and then you can move on to the rest of the game i feel like if each dungeon had a main card that you absolutely needed and then you reduce the number of total cards that you need i feel like that would open it up a little bit and still make you play all the dungeons because if you just dropped the number to like 26 then you could skip whole dungeons and that's not great so have key items even if they're literally just keys and then reduce that card number so that it kind of goes a little bit smoothly yeah totally that that super sucks i didn't realize that that's that actually was one of the things I was praising the game for, was how it had that collectible system and that it would allow you some wiggle room. I didn't realize that it was so tight. Yeah, a wiggle room of one I don't think is no, very that great. That does not count. That does not count for... That does not get them praise. <laughs> um, but yeah, that end game is super cool. <laughs> you want to go through that? Awesome. I want a AAA game to do that. Like, getting the swapper tool, which allows you to pick two tiles in the environment and swap them around which essentially can allow you to boundary break the game and walk around wherever you want including outside of the boundary and you can actually get so far outside of the boundary that the game glitches and breaks i i love that like what a fun neat thing to do and then there's a bunch of collectibles they hid in in spots around the map that you couldn't get to without the tool like really cool i i that that absolutely deserves praise i i think that's one of the coolest secrets post-game things in video games honestly ever yeah no kidding and you know some games will give you like oh here's a thing so that you can go through the game world faster or whatever but it's mainly just to revisit areas that you have this is this opens up everything yes you can move through old areas faster because you can kind of skip through walls but you know there's entire areas there is an entire pseudo dungeon area that is hidden behind an extremely cryptic npc quest where you have to talk to every npc in the game in a specific order that i it's so cool man i love that like absolutely do that stuff with your game it's so it's so neat and and especially that like that quest at the end right i didn't do it i don't know if you did um Um, i did i went back to it nice like if that if that was in the main thrust of the game, like a weird quest where you had to talk to every NPC, that would be infuriating because you'd be like, "This is so obtuse and nonsense." But the fact that it's an end game thing makes it cool because it means that hey, if you're doing that, if you're wandering around this world even more after you've rolled the credits, you really care and you want to see more, and you're dedicated to it. And it's just what a neat thing for players to give them, you know, more time with this game. Like, really cool. And uh, there's actually, I believe, 10 additional cards to collect if you really want to go after that. Yeah. Um, and then there's also some secret little uh, collectibles, one of which is Missing now. a golden a golden poop that you find in the Binding oh. of Isaac level, which is super cool. Oh, that's cool. 
Did you find the missing um, no? Uh, yes, I think I found the missing no, and is that the one with the Pikachu character sitting there? Yeah. Yeah, I did end up finding that one, um, which is super cool because it's more the game, but without a lot of the exploration hangups because you're not stuck wandering around the same screen where you know maybe you can't get through a wall because you have to go all the way around to get to it this is i'll just walk through it and i don't know i found the exploration a lot more fun there but also exploring these new areas that are completely way off the wall apparently if you keep digging far enough you can even find the debug room and that's where one of the cards is hidden yeah um i think it's in the nexus area which is really cool like i i have nothing for praise about this like honestly i i wish i wish every game did it and i understand why because like breaking the game and looking at it you know in that way dissecting in that way is pretty it's pretty open you know like what a cool thing yeah it's about as open as you can get <laughs> yeah like honestly it, it honestly this might be the only true open world game <laughs> <laughs> even if there's not much to look at in the black void it is very open yeah it's it's so interesting i i think what what a neat thing Let's talk about... Let, let's get pretentious. I want to get pretentious with you. All right. Let's go. Before we did this, I went and rewatched Nitro Rad's review of this and uh, watched the spoiler section this time, which I hadn't last time. And he was talking I about this... I completely avoided the video before yeah. I played it. Yeah. Definitely, definitely do that. He um he does do a pretty good job of saying, okay, spoilers now and don't watch this if you're interested. So I, I recommend it after this. But he kind of talks about how, and I, I completely agree with this, and I think the game actually nudges you to think this way, that the game is kind of about young or whoever the whoever young is supposed to stand in for social anxiety and about overcoming the, those issues or his own inner demons. Um, and there's a, there's a lot of areas that kind of, kind of give us clues about this. Um, one of the things he mentioned were that weird humanoid pcs that wander around like the cliffs areas and some of the dungeons that are like make those scary noises but are ultimately docile and don't do anything they don't harm you they're not enemies um you can kind of just walk past them and nothing happens which i think is an interesting point um he talks about the suburban area i think for obvious reasons that one it's there's a lot of like the characters who are living are in denial there's a lot of you know not not addressing a, a situation. There's a lot of things like that. You know, some stuff, the sage, he makes the point that the sage might be a part of young psyche. Um, and that he's encouraging himself and getting all excited about kind of breaking out of his shell. But once he gets time, once it's almost happening, you know, he starts to get down on himself, which I, c I can relate to that if that's true. And then the ending it talks about the ending being this huge build-up to a boss battle that ultimately, when it's over, there's just a friend who wants to get a sandwich, right? Like, it's it's honestly a very simple ending and something that, if you really wanted to take this all the way, the main character may have just been building up to be this epic quest and epic battle when in actuality it's just hanging out with a friend, right? I don't know, what do you think about that? It's it's a pretty interesting theory and I, I tend to agree with it. Yeah, for sure. When I first heard um, this kind of discussed was, you know, it kind of, it made a lot of sense, first of all, and the story, I feel like, uh, generally leads to that, and the tone especially leads to that as well, where interacting with these other people is, you know, scary in some cases with the whole sepia town, but also is kind of some of the only positive moments in the game where you're talking with the bike girl and you know some of the npcs and the lobster man and you know those are the kind of the positive moments whereas some other moments are really scary and the dungeons are scary but that's when he's not interacting with people mm -hmm. um and 
as someone who does actually, you know, very much relates to having social anxiety, having that sort of stress and that, you know, building up a moment of just going to get lunch with a friend definitely, definitely hits home and definitely makes a lot of sense. Yeah, no, I totally, I totally agree. And also, you know, can relate to that. I think a lot of people can, right? Like it, I think it's, it's, I think this, this whole thing is kind of, it feels very dreamy, right? And I think it's because it's the main character processing these things and, you know, trying to build up their resolve to handle a situation to go out with a friend, you know? And I, I think that metaphor really works. It really worked for me, at least. Uh, what other theories did you have specifically? So, uh, actually, I'll start with this one. It's just a small thing. That um, weird space, cyberspace area, you know, the the area there's no combat in it it's like the weird purple background and there's the cube kings in it it's the one do you get to before the hotel yeah yeah the space area yeah i think that that area is supposed to represent yang like like dealing with his social anxiety by being by either being on social media or on a forum or something somewhere like i think the two kings are kind of like people representing their like i don't know people who have like their five minutes of fame or whatever that expression is right because they talk about how they're only kings for like an hour or whatever um i also think because there's no enemy combatants in that area there's no fighting at all um it may maybe represents a safe space which is just kind of a small theory i had it doesn't really say kind of a thing about this game is nothing seems really labeled which again is what opens up to interpretation um and then the sort of the larger theory i have is about the sage character, um, where I think the sage character might, might, and it, it again, I came up with this theory at like four in the morning, <laughs> so I might be overthinking it, might represent sort of a toxic friendship or relationship. Somebody who wants to be Young's friend, but doesn't handle things very well. Um, I think that can be seen by how he's kind of encouraging Young to, to go on this quest and to do these things kind of helping him along at first but then at the end when he's finally getting there starts to disincentivize him from doing that and try to stop him because he's afraid you know he's either super controlling or he's afraid he'll find other friends and leave him because he's insecure i think that that theory definitely has a lot of grounds because that is a very big part of the story as simple as it is but it's a very big part of young finding a friend in this bike girl and especially with the ending of him kind of being pushed around by the sage a little bit and then the bike girl you know encourages young to move on and go confront briar essentially but so having this sage character be this super controlling force and try and be friendly I could, I could definitely relate to that. I could definitely see how that would be a representation for a toxic relationship. Um, there's even the moment when you get all the cards and he uh, locks the gate again and says, oh, no, you need 96 cards. Like, don't leave me. <laughs> you have to keep spending time with me and exploring um, rather than move on. So I definitely, I definitely see where you're coming from with that theory i don't know i just that that really stuck out to me and it it maybe because i've had some personal experiences with stuff like that right it just it it was something i thought about which again it just i love how this game is open to interpretation and this was just a small part of that do you have anything any theories of yours um yeah i didn't spend a whole lot of time it's one of those games that i don't super come up with my own theories about games i don't know if that's just me but i do super enjoy reading other people's theories but um i was thinking about how a lot of this game deals with duality and how there's these sort of two sides to everything obviously the space area with the two cube kings the ground textures are split in half and there's one uh pyramid guy who's sort of stuck in the middle and he's just spinning out of control wildly um, and then also the ending where you have the 
water and lava flows and you have to do both sides to merge them together to fight the final boss. It's very much something of how Young is dividing himself and who who he wants to be or even how the player or the developers want to be. How they're, you know, it would be easier to maybe just stab this person rather than actually talk and learn about them and so that kind of dichotomy and even in something like the beach area where you know you have this lobster character on one dock but then the next dock over you push the guy into the water to die it's very much this sort of dichotomy of not like crazy you know um sociopathic anything like that I think it's mainly just a sort of either self-loathing or just lack of experience on Young's part where he maybe just doesn't know how to interact so bringing both sides of himself into into in together is kind of um, important to him because figuring out that yes these sort of angry emotions are valid but not super helpful but also putting yourself out there constantly and appealing to everyone as a sort of like the light side of it also doesn't super take care of himself so bringing those two together allow him to sort of make more sense of his his own brain and I don't know I feel like that sort of theming plays a big part in this game and I don't know if that's at all a if that makes sense as a theory, but it uh, it's definitely something to think about. I can absolutely see that. That's that's really interesting. Wow. Yeah. Totally. Like this game's cool. <laughs> I think the more we talk about it, the more I appreciate it. Like it's got a whole bunch of just interesting things, and like shout out to the writing. It's it's really on point and really good. Yeah. And this was a game that. And, you know, just hearing us discuss it might not seem, it might seem like we're extremely positive on this. This was a game that when I was playing it, I was not having a great time. Honestly, when I was writing notes, I was like, what the hell? Why is there knockback? This, this fucking game makes no sense. But then, you know, the more I thought about it and the more I actually stepped back to look at the game, I found myself liking it a lot more than hating it. And yeah, there are a lot of archaic design choices and sort of obtuse puzzles and whatever but what this game actually does it does really well and I actually really enjoy it and I'm extremely glad that I got to play it yeah 100% um it actually makes me think of like it makes me I mean it really feels like a first game with really good ideas right it makes me think of like the first Assassin's Creed which sounds like a weird comparison but it's not really when you think about what Assassin's Creed 1 was with these really repetitive missions and honestly kind of boring just like tailing missions and structure but then it had these great ideas of like this awesome historical setting and these like really intricate story and cool you know social stealth which is the thing that they did for that game and you know in the sequel they took all those ideas and went what are the good ones and they just used those and then added more right and I I think that this game might have some of that same some of those same ideas right where it's like the writing and the story and the and the just general theming ideas are fantastic it just falls a bit short in gameplay unfortunately but that's okay i think because there's enough good here to warrant a playthrough right to warrant a discussion to talk about it's just really interesting and worth seeing and if you're someone that um you know if you if you know someone or you are someone that sees a game like this and gets really intimidated and you know can't even or gets really frustrated with the controls or something then I would say even just watch a long play of it and really just soak in like the atmosphere of it because that's where the game shines and obviously I do want you to support the developers and you know if you're gonna buy it on PC buy it on itch.io because a lot more money goes to the developers and I think they deserve it but you know this is a game that's not really relying on the gameplay so much as it is 
the story, which I feel like really great games do both. But honestly, for two people and a flash may a flash based game engine, this is really damn impressive. For sure, and yeah, it's one of those things where now I'm, I'm thinking about the sequel and. I'm really excited to see what they do with it. What they did with it, rather. Which, coincidentally, we will be talking about on the next episode of Safe Station Radio. Real quick, before we wrap up, is there anything else you want to say? Anything about the game? or? Um, no, I, it definitely warrants the playthrough. It's worth the $10. Um, I would recommend it to anyone who's a fan of, you know, off-the-wall indie games. You know what? Actually, I want to make one more point. I really appreciated, and again, it's all up to interpretation, and it not, may not necessarily be what the, in, the developers intended, but I appreciated this was a game about social anxiety that tackled it in a different, not-so-cliche way. Because I feel like we've seen a lot of indie games tackle that subject, and they usually... I, I just don't feel like I've seen one do it this way, which I, I really appreciated. A lot of... I, and I completely agree. I've seen a lot of indie games that deal with social anxiety and generalized anxiety which are different things to be fair where it plays it up as this big scary monster and like oh it's really intense and yeah that is definitely a way that it manifests for people but in this game it's very much a sort of a background element where it's always present and those moments when you're alone kind of feel safer in some ways but also not safe it definitely tackles it in a very unique way that i related to a lot more than something that plays it up super big yeah and not there's anything wrong with that i just feel like we've had you know and i'm not again i'm not like crapping on this game or anything because i actually like it quite a bit but like i think since gone home we've seen a lot of indie games that tackle similar subjects in the same way and Again, this game came out the same year as Gone Home, so like it's kind of interesting to compare the two. And and they're not about the same thing, to be fair. But playing this, it it just feels a little little bit more unique because of that reason, right? It it stands out, and it and I actually think it handles this subject in a way that only a video game could. I don't think if you were to translate this to a different medium, it would work quite as well. Yeah, for sure. All right. So, again, that being said. Next episode, Anodyne 2. I've been Dustin. And I'm Connor. And we'll see you next time. Take care.